Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 4. And I want to finish up what I started. I was going to go back to Hebrews, but I can't. Uh, I want to deal with, the, deal with the subject, can God trust you? And we looked two weeks on this matter of money, and that is a major area. But uh, let's just look at this concept of uh, can God trust you? Is that even in the Bible? Where does that come from? And uh, uh, I just think about that. Has God entrusted to us anything uh, as his people? And as we come to this matter of uh, missions, for instance, and, and outreach and uh, the global cause of Christ, uh, should, we, should we be involved in that? Is that an option? Uh, is there, because I said we're not a missions church, and uh, we've got plenty to learn, believe me. Uh, there's many ministries that just uh, do a far better job. So we haven't arrived, but lots to learn. And, uh, but there's a lot of things going on that when you think about it, uh, uh, there's some kind of things you wonder. If you go into marriage and one of the partners says this, uh, I don't think I'm, I can promise you that I'll be faithful, but let's go ahead and get married. Okay? It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter uh, because a body like mine should be shared with many. <laughs> so, so we go into it, you know, uh, understanding that, uh, no, I'm not going to. Or maybe a business partner. Hey, buddy, I, I, keep, I just want you to know you can't count on me, but I'd like to be your partner. Just don't count on me. Don't count on me. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden uh, in darkness and will disclose the purposes or motives of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let me uh, just look at this a little bit, and then we'll look at three aspects of being a faithful steward. First of all, what grabs me here is Paul's self-image of himself. What do you think of yourself when you think of yourself? What do you see yourself as? And here Paul is saying, I see myself primarily two ways here. He said, I see myself as a servant and a, a steward of God. And this word servant uh, is very interesting. It really meant an underling because it was used of the rowers in the bottom row of a battleship doing this rowing. That's literally what it was. 
And, and he uses a preposition. Is that I'm an under, way down. I'm in the hole of the ship, but I'm in the row. You know, you see these Ben-Hur movies. and so I see myself on the lower deck. I see myself out of sight. I see myself rowing, rowing. That's what I am, first of all. And here he is, an apostle. But this is my self-image. I'm an under rower. I'm an underling. I'm a subordinate. That's number one. That's what Paul says, I see myself as. Then he said, I also am a steward. And we looked at uh, Luke 16 about the uh, shrewd steward and about the lessons Christ gave us on money. If you can't be faithful with a little, you can't be faithful of much. If you don't take care of uh, your master's goods, how do you think he's going to give you more? Because in a steward, let me just give you a, a little definition. A steward is one who manages another's property. You manage another's property. You don't own it. You manage their affairs. You maybe manage their money. And this was big time in biblical times that you manage the house. I'm the owner of the house. I'm out of town or I'm caught. I don't want to be caught up with the trivia of business. I, I'm a, obviously a wealthy man. I have servants. I have one appointed steward over running this house. Just watch Downton Abbey almost, and you'll see how the guy runs the place, huh? Run the place for me. Uh, I don't want to be bothered with the kitchen. I don't want to be bothered with cleaning. See to it, it gets done. Paul says, I see myself as a steward of God's mysteries, of great truths for the church. So two things. I see myself as a underling. I see myself as one who works for the owner. And so I'm just a steward. I don't view myself as an owner. And uh, then when you think of that, Let's think of when we ask the American question, are you a success? Uh, you know, you, you can never tell if you are a success unless you have some definition of what that means. And uh, I read a, a little book. It's called Liberating the Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Kent Hughes pastored Wheaton Bible Church for years. Kent Hughes graduated from uh, Talbot Seminary. His denomination gave him $50,000 and a few families to go plant a church. He went there and uh, invested the uh, denomination's money. These families poured themselves into this work, and they watched the work go down, 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 not take, not do good. He went into a slump. He went into depression, and he went into the ministerial blues. Why cannot I make something grow? Why isn't this doing good? And then several of his other buddies that were in seminary bailed out, went into the insurance business, and said, get out while you can. And he said he began to wrestle with questions, he and his wife. And these were the questions he wrestled with. Can a man be a success in the ministry and just pastor a small church? How in the world 
Can a seminary trained man with a master's be a success and only have 100 people? See, he automatically was tying success to numbers, growth, uh, other criteria. He went on. Uh, then he asked himself, what is failure in the ministry? Uh, is everybody succeeding in ministry? Is there anybody out there failing? What does it mean to fail? Uh, then he asked the question, what would success look like for me in the ministry? He eventually resigned that church. They closed the work. It didn't take hold. Later on, things opened up for him. I want to ask you, are you a success? And, and, and you, make, you could say, well, man, I make 100000 a year. That's doing pretty good. Okay. If money is the criteria, you'd be doing pretty good. Uh, are you a success? Well, uh, my kids can't stand me. My marriage is in trouble. And, uh, but, boy, the business is sure doing good. Is that, is that success for you? As long as the business is doing good, uh, it, that's what really matters. Who cares if you're in your third marriage? What is success in America? Materialism, money as a whole, financial prosperity. See, in my old-fashioned view, I folks for success because all, all five of their living kids grew up loving them, and they died in the Lord, and they died happy. In their simplicity. Never had a 401k. Couldn't spell it. Finance, they didn't know that. They couldn't hardly rub two $20 bills together without thinking they were multimillionaires. They, they never expected a lot of money. What is the success in your ratio and in your way? Well, Paul says success for me will be doing this. Notice what he says in verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found successful. What does your say? Faithful, trustworthy. I'm managing the father's goods, the master of the house's goods, and what's required of me is not all the criteria of the Roman Empire or the American dream. All that's required of me is to be faithful to what God called me to do. Now, faithful to that. I think of Kimber and Veda, both missionary kids. And I've met Veda's parents. They seem to be happy Christians. Oh, they were just never made any front page of big headlines but they were faithful as missionaries, faithful to whatever God told them to do. Now, three things are required in a steward. Three things. You got this? No PowerPoint. You just have to use kibasa. Uh, Latinos, you ought to amen that. Uh, is that uh, dependability, responsibility, and accountability. Those are the three ingredients of being a good steward. Number one, 
I'm dependable. Um, can God depend on you to do whatever he asks you to do, whatever that is? And we'll look at three areas of responsibility he's given us. But dependability. Uh, listen to a verse. Listen to 2 Timothy, been the uh, kind of the mass head for my Timothy program. And, and just look at this verse. Using the I'm now preaching in stereo. Uh, look at uh, 2 Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to unfaithful men. Well, just breathing men. Any kind of man. No, no, a certain kind of man. Faithful. Okay, that's nice. Reliable. Shows up to church at least three times. No, faithful men, and there has, you're looking for a competence. Who will be able to teach others also? There's competency. You're looking for guys that can pass it on, and they will share in the suffering. So I want you to invest in those that are faithful, and they have the potential of passing on what you say. Dependability. And you just start off with what has God begun with you to do? What has he put in your hand? I'll tell you a great place to begin, and he did this with the elders. How is your home? Are you faithful to manage a home according to biblical principles? You see, you said when you look for elders in the church, when you look for deacons, when you look for men uh, to give leadership to a church, the place you always reach into is their home. And you exclude uh, them from the interview. You just get the wife by herself. And what would be ideal is to get the children by themselves. Would you follow your daddy's spiritual leadership? I hate my dad. He's mean to my mother. He's not good. He's not fair. He's not this. He's not that. Well, you've got to be sure what state of mind this 15-year-old's in. But if you've got a profile, wife, what is your husband like? Well, I don't trust him. You don't trust him. Well, surely we don't want to trust him. Huh? Uh, well, is he a one-woman man? No, he's flirting all the time. Well, we, we don't need to entrust him with very people's lives. Uh-uh. Nope. Because, you see, if you're not doing good in a small sphere, a small sphere, why would God expand the sphere of your influence? The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. So there's ways to see if someone is faithful. A hidden way that we don't like to talk about is this matter of finances. It's easy. Do, do you give? Well, no, I don't, but I'm faithful. You're faithful not to give. See, it's measurable. You take all of the uh, religiosity out of your faith. Say, no, that's concrete terms. It's, it's measurable. We know where your heart is by your giving. That Jesus gave us that insight. So dependability is the idea. Now, responsibility, when you're managing the household, what three areas would God want us to be responsible? Just three areas I would measure it. 
Let's just review. Go with me to Luke again, 16. And we just see, <coughs> we've looked at the money issue for a couple of weeks, but look at the principle he gives in uh, Luke 16, 11, I believe. Look at what it says. I'll, I'll begin at verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. There's your principle. If you're not faithful with a little, why expand and give you more? If you can't take care of five, why give you 50? If you can't manage this, why expand? No. And God's assignments, he starts us out small enough because he's trying to see what's going on in our heart. Can you, can you be reliable to do it? Will you be reliable? I think of two men in our church. I think of uh, uh, Ron Hughes years ago, always loved children. And eventually, when we were talking deacons and all that kind of thing, I said, a man that's being faithful with children, I'd love to be chairman of our deacons. Absolutely. Tim Vowstrom, our executive pastor, worked for years, was the director of Awanas, worked with children faithfully. And I saw him faithfully walk a single man's life for 15 years because his wife left him with a girl. I saw the purity. I saw the character. He has character. You can't buy character. It's just what a person is, faithful, faithful in that which you may seem to call little, small, little folks over there. They don't count much to God anyway. Kids are brats, right? If you think that way, who in the world would ever want to trust you with an adult? God puts little things in our hands to see if we pass that test. And he said, if you're faithful in little, I'll make you faithful over much. If you're dishonest with a little, you'll be dishonest with much. Then he goes on to say, if you've not been faithful in the use of money, that which belongs to God, who will ever give you your own? Whether you like it or not, I follow Jesus. I don't follow churchmen. This is what Jesus said. Can God trust you with money? And if you don't pass that test, you'll never get onto the greater stuff. That's why I'd love to see you pass that test. Prove to be faithful there. Then he says, I'll entrust more than this to you. But you need to start there. The second, and I think the most important area, is can God trust us with the message? Can God trust us with the message? Uh, he says, I must be faithful. And I've kind of wanted to show you these different. Look at uh, just one verse with me. You're not, you, you're usually, I just let you sit, just sit there and stare at that one text. But I want you to turn. Second Thessalonians, it's in the New Testament. And look at that. And I don't, uh, it's really 1 Thessalonians. If you were on your toes, you would have caught it. Uh, 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted, is that in your Bible? With the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, go back to Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 17. 
listen to how Paul likens his stewardship to his being entrusted with the gospel. Listen to what he says. Verse 16, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Corinthians, whether you pay me or not, God has entrusted a message to me, and I'm going to make it known to you. I don't want your money because you're a tight-fisted, carnal church, and you've got all kinds of problems. And so I'm working with my own hands with Aquila and Priscilla. I'm a leather worker. I make tents. I make leather goods. I'm, all rabbis were taught a skill. I'm paying my own bills. But no matter whether you pay me or not, I'm entrusted with the gospel message, and I must get it out. Now, I ask you, has God entrusted his people with a message? Here, I think of missions. Go to all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Baptize them. Teach them. Uh, I hear Acts 1.8, I send the Spirit to give you power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. Have we been put in trust with the gospel or just Paul? Have you been entrusted with a message that Paul says, I'm guarding the message? I'm guarding the message. It's been entrusted to me, and I'm going to give an account to the owner. It's a responsibility, I feel, as the steward of a message. And let me tell you, I feel that, that sense of woe is unto me about the gospel. Uh, whether I'm paid or not, you, I, you wouldn't want to know all the beginning days of my own trying to preach as a kid, borrowing money, hitchhiking, uh, hitchhiking and get guys sometimes nearly kidnap me where I slept, where I I borrowed money at times to get across the bridges because they never gave me an offering where I preached and I didn't have any more money to get home. So I just pull on the gas station and borrow enough bridge toll to get across. But remember, it used to be 50 cents. Kind of embarrassing, though, to pull up. I'm a gospel, of, gospel preacher. Would you loan me 50 cents? The church I just preached at didn't think enough of it to give me any money to get across the bridge. But that's okay. I was told to preach. What has God told you to do? What, what part of this message do you carry? The gospel. Uh, has God entrusted the gospel to a few men, uh, apostles, prophets, so-called preachers? Or has he entrusted that to his whole church? Is every believer entrusted and will God ask you someday, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? And I think of uh, missions. Some of you, you ought to be praying now about coming out and hearing these precious people tell what God's doing through them 
and for his church in other places in the world. He said, I'm not big into missions or outreach. Uh, most Christians aren't. We're all into in-reach, my world, me, my. You know what? I got enough grandchildren. I don't need to worry about your kids. I got 12 grandchildren and six daughters and son-in-laws. Come on, just stay with Howard's. I got a lot of family. I don't need to get mixed up with your family. Let them go to hell. Do you think I could get off of that? You think that's the heart of God? Where is this John 3.16 God that cares for a perishing world? We will give an account. Many, many of us have become dead seas. You know, has anyone here visited the Dead Sea? It is quite an experience, you know. I always heard about that you, could, you couldn't drown in the Dead Sea. I wanted to see. And I went in, and you, it does bear you up. There's so much salt water there, so many minerals that you can lay right on it. The problem I had, I'd been riding a horse in Petra, and when I got there, you know, horses have a way of making blisters. Let me tell you, friend, they heard me shout all over the Dead Sea. Whoa! I was instantly healed. Instantly healed. Uh, but that water, the buoyancy there, I mean, you're just, it's just, oh, the minerals there. There's a reason it's dead. It's dead because it receives the waters of the Jordan from the Galilee and up in Hebron and up in the northern parts of Israel. But when it gets to the Dead Sea, it goes no further because there's no outlets. There's no outlets whatsoever, so everything dies. There's no life in the Dead Sea. Fish are dead. They come in sometime right in from the Jordan. Uh, but, but it stops at the Dead Sea. And you know what? A life that only receives and does not become a conduit with an outflow dies. God's not made us just to receive the gospel. He's made us to pass on the gospel. God hasn't made us just to get, get, get. Give me money. Give me resources. Give me possessions. Well, what are you going to do with them if you get them? Why would God want to bless you as a dead sea? Everything stops with you. That's, if I were God, I wouldn't bless you. He's a lot nicer. But especially when I say, I need resources for my kingdom. I need resources for missions. I need resources to get my work done on the earth. I've got a kingdom, and it's not just your family household. God loves a lot more folks than just the kids you're raising. If you don't love another man's kids, why should God love your kids? I'm talking about the selfishness we get. Me, my, my little brood, we're all about us. No, 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 this is not God's heart. This is not God's heart. God's heart says, I want to give you resources to bless all people as far as you can go. Spurgeon used to say, I want to get one foot at the foot of the cross and stretch the other as far as I can go. How far can you go with the message? We've been put in trust with the gospel. How are you doing with the trust? That's our responsibility. And then I think the third M, money, message, ministry. Let's just look at a verse and show how steward comes up. First Peter, uh, look at that verse because he uses the word steward 
and gifts in chapter 4. In verse 10, he says, uh, as each, talking believer, has received a spiritual gift, that's what he's talking about, use it to sit on. Does yours say that? Use it to, to uh, thank you. Somebody's got a Bible. Use it to serve your wife and kids. That's not bad. They don't mind that. But could it go a little further? To serve one another. Who's the one another? Fellow believers. Use that gift to serve one another as, notice, what? Thank you. They're a conservative congregation this morning. That means half asleep and not alert. Stewards of God's varied grace. When God gave you a gift, he made you a steward of that gift. He's going to hold you accountable for what you do with it. He gave you a gift, and now a steward has to say, I manage it for the master. I... Uh, I just do whatever he wants. It's his gift he put in me, right? Is the gift God's? Talk back to me. Is that right or not? Yeah, come on, wake up. When I ask a question, I want to hear you. I mean it. I talk, you talk. This is your permission. Does he want you to use that gift as a steward to bless these other people? What? Yeah. Now watch how, but, you, but some say, but I'm not gifted. That, in other words, God's lying to you. Because God said he's gifted his people with a spiritual gift. The gift is really from God. And you get this all the way through the New Testament. Every child of God has been given a spiritual gift, which I understand as a grace enablement to add something to the body of Christ. We've all got different, and what was the illustration? We've got fingers in the body, we've got eyes, we've got ears, all, and he used the analogy of the body. We don't all do the same thing. Uh, you know, don't you know how important a member of your body is, is once you hurt it? And guess what? Uh, you need eyes. And, and so sometimes we make the body of Christ, we want just one gift. That's usually the pulpit guys, the guys on the stage. You're the gifted one. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. I have a gift, and I'm going to be accountable to God for what I've done with it, but so are you. Now watch what he says in verse 11. He says that whoever speaks, speaks as the oracles of God. Be sure you speak that which God has to say. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. See, God's going to give you the strength to use this gift, and he's going to energize you by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You know, it's wonderful. I, I mean, the body of Christ. Uh, when I call the whites and I check up on Ron White, when I call Christine Broca, check up on her. I had a sister this morning tell me about Mike Wilkins. I had another brother or sister tell me about another one sick. Uh, this one was visited. This one was checked on. 
there are so many ministers in this body, it's unreal. And they say, the cards, I'm having these people, we can't keep up with the cards. We can't keep up with the calls. We can't, wait, wait, you mean the pastors? No, the people. If I do all the ministry, I expect to get all the reward. Is that fair? Why are you letting us guys beat you out of reward? Say, like, get out of my way, pastor. I'm gifted in this area. What area are you gifted? How can God and how has he used you? Wow. He wants to use you. He designed to use you. And he says, whether you're a mouth gift, you're speaking, you edify maybe through exhortation, teaching, whatever, the mouth. And you know, some people, when they come in the room, all their ministry is mouth-related. Right? But I'll tell you, when I need my lawn cut, I want a different kind of gift. Grass doesn't get cut with the mouth. When I need financial help, when I need encouragement, I want an exhorter. I want that kind of, and we got to get them in our life. But, man, I look in this local church right here, all the stuff that happens. Even Wednesday night, we feed people that come to the Bible study. We run uh, you know, a latte shop that back there with Garrett and different ones. Stuff that happens all over the place that God does through people just like you. And guess what? He's just going to say, were you faithful to do what I say? Are you doing it? And I think most people, don't we measure faithfulness this way? Well, I came, didn't I? Good. I stayed awake, didn't I? Miracle. Uh Let's see, uh, well, what else you want? God designed you for much more than that. He, he's giving you this gift. So let's ask responsibility. I'm responsible for the message. Am I guarding it? Am I passing it on? I'm responsible for the money or resources he's given me. I'm responsible for ministry. Minister one to another. Now, what if I don't want to do it? What if I'm not doing it? Well, um, two things. Let me just read the passages. 1 Corinthians 3, right before Paul said this, he said these words. Everyone is to build on Christ. And verse 13 said, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Whatever you spend your life on that isn't in the realm of what God designated for you, He's going to just put a match to it because it's only so much wood, hay, and stubble to God. He's not impressed. Oh, you made the CEO of the company. Good. Hip, hip, hooray. That's wonderful. And you're in the top escalon. But you might be a total failure in the sight of God. One man said he climbed the ladder to success and found out his ladder was leaning on the wrong wall. William Kelly, a great, brilliant British sir, great Bible expositor. 
he was being offered the presidency of a key school in England. And they came to him. He was pastoring a small country parish. And they came to him and said, oh, oh, you need to take this. This is, you know, great promotion. And finally one man said, William, you must take this. You'll be famous in the world. And William Kelly, he said, which world are we talking about? And he turned it down, stayed at the country parish, and kept serving God. I read 2 Corinthians 5. Tim, the same subject, he just says it a little bit different. Let me read it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. The word evil ought to be the word worthless. He's not talking about morally evil. He's talking about what is uh, worthless. Every one of us are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord Jesus, the servant of servants, will ask us, uh, give me an account, feedback to me what you've done with the responsibilities I gave you. I gave you money, and I asked you to manage it according to my word, according to my wishes. I gave you ministry. I gave you a gift to do ministry. Tell me, what did you do with it? Um, I gave you a message, the gospel. Did you put it under a bushel, or did you share it? Did you just give it up or did you share it? Did you pass it on? You, you answer me. Money, ministry, message. I put a lot of trust in you. I was counting on you. Just tell me what you did with it. And uh, there will be no doubt a thousand excuses in front of him. I, if I had only, uh, if I'd gone to college, uh, if I, well, I, you know, I was always timid. You know, uh, man, I was making so much money. I, I did tithe, by the way. That covers it, doesn't it? I didn't just give you money. I gave you ministry. I gave you a message. Have you kept the gospel? Are you guarding the gospel? See, I must tell you, my greatest stewardship I feel in my life, I want to live, preach, and die for the gospel. This message, Christ. I'm talking to Christians today, but if we don't guard the message, we can become the Rotary Club and no gospel down here. It's just a bunch of social activity. Anathema. I want the cross, the blood, born again. Jesus is coming again. I want the gospel. I'm going to die for the gospel. There's a lot of folks can do all that other stuff. What's your answer going to be? Sometimes it's sobering to me. He's going to have a time with me. And he's going to ask me. At 15, I ask you to preach for me. You didn't know anything, and you don't know much more now. But did you do what I told you? Did you do? But, but Lord, I never had a big, big church. I never said you had to have a big church. And I'm bigger than most of the men I grew up with. 
churches of 100. The average Protestant church in America has 90 people. What if God wanted me to pastor 101 people in Skunk Holler? Could you be a success to do that? If it was the will of God. You don't know, I pastored in this church for 13 years at a place where skunks always got under our building. Anybody remember the hall? See? Jenny remembers, and those skunks would get under there, they'd have babies, and they would spray. You ought to walk into a building that's been sprayed by skunks. And then the ball game, 13 years we stayed there. And you know what? I was as fulfilled and as happy there as I am here because I was in the will of God, the will of God. That doesn't matter. And some of you are miserable and you ought to be because as a steward, you're blowing it. You're, you're I don't know what's wrong with you. I, I don't know what's wrong. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Why aren't you doing what he's trusted you to do? Why have you buried his resources? Why aren't you available? Why aren't you engaged? Quit blaming. Quit blaming. Quit. The devil is talking you out of your reward, and you're just moping and going around. When? Come on. You don't have much longer. We're having people being struck with cancer left and right in this church, but we're going to have people in their 30s and their 40s. What in the world are you doing with the life you have? How many more years and days of excuses will you offer the owner of the house? You're a steward, not an owner. You own nothing. You don't even own your wife. With all these sicknesses and deaths, my wife's been telling me how to bury her. I said, would you please cut it out? Please don't tell me. I'm not quite ready for that discussion. I'll have to be ready whenever God says. But I'm cowardly. I'd want to go first because the women are a lot stronger than the men. They do a lot better. But someday it's going to be all over and I'm going to get to stand and it would be a treat if she could stand with me and him ask, did you do what I told you? Why were you in the ministry? Was it money, numbers, power, fame? Could you be happy if I sent you back to Holy Ghost Hall? I hope till I die I could say yes, as long as it's your will. I don't have to be in a big place. I just want to be faithful in any place he puts me. What are you doing? where he's put you. What are you doing? I think of the message of the gospel. I got a sister down here, got an unsaved husband that he comes every Wednesday night because she worked out a deal either on your anniversary or birthday. Both. She works a deal. You come with me for my anniversary, our wedding anniversary and my birthday. You come with me for how many weeks? Till this thing wraps up in May. And here this unsaved man, precious man, is here every week because she said, I want him to hear the message. 
I know how to get him here because he loves me. Now, you know what? You're, you belong to First Dying Church if we don't get it out of the Dead Sea. Do you want this place to die? We ought to be rebirthed as a church. The 30 and 40-year-olds ought to take over this place. But you got to win them. You got to bring them. Are we doing it? Or are we just singing, never grow old, never grow old, in a land where we'll never grow old. Get a new rocker and just go out rocking. Now, why don't you go out serving, praying, giving, loving until you see him face to face. God bless you. You're dismissed.